Follow along with me. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, was, for he one of the twelve, was going to betray him. You see the story shifts. All these people had come to listen to him after he had multiplied the bread. They had taken this boat. They would went to Capernaum. And now here Christ has been teaching in Capernaum. And now after these hard truths, he turns to the twelve. The words that he's spoken has offended them. And these who claim to be his disciples followed him no more. That's the scene of today. That's the story we come into. That's what we'll be preaching on today. So before we do, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this week that you've given us. We thank you for just the blessings you've given us. Father, we thank you for everything. We thank you for your sovereignty, your holiness, your, your power, God. All that you are, we come and we give you glory for and we praise you. And Father, I pray that you would allow us to understand the, the truths that are in these verses. Lord, let us understand the beauty that's in these verses. Let us understand the application that's in these verses. But Lord, let us know that these verses are pointing to you. Lord, you are the, the focus today. You are the one that we come to worship and praise and seek and honor. So, Lord, I pray that you would set our hearts towards you today. And Lord, that by the working of the Holy Spirit, you would bring clarity. God, you would just open our souls to the truths that are here so that we can worship you in spirit and in truth and that we could grow in our walk with you. Father, we know that some of the things that you teach are hard to hear. But Lord, your words are truth. So I pray that tonight and today and anytime we gather, we would just surrender to your words because in them, our spirit and life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How did we get here? How did we get to them leaving him? Well, I think it's, it's worth just kind of looking back into chapter 6 and how we got to here. Do you remember how that it started out with him feeding the 5,000 and, and he multiplied the bread and people were so amazed with that? They were so amazed that they could take this little bit of bread and feed up to 20, 25,000 people. And they see this. And, and if you remember, they try to take him as king because they are seeing the miracles that he's doing. They have no problem with the miracles that he's doing. They love the miracles that he's doing. They love the power that he's showing because they want to use it for their own good, their own benefit. Hey, this could be our king. We could never have to go hungry. He could maybe be the one who takes and overthrows the Roman government. This is our guy. And you remember after that, they try to take him by force. and He retreats into the mountain alone and he prays all night. 
And at that point, we know that it's getting late and the, the disciples get in the boat and they start to go across the Sea of Galilee and the Sea of Galilee becomes violent and they're terrified and they don't know what to do. And here comes Jesus walking on the water. He is declaring that he is the I am that's in Exodus chapter three. He is Yahweh. The same one who created the waters is now the one walking on the waters. He is God. And then they go to Capernaum and now he's there and this group of people that has seen him do these miracles, they come and they're flocking to see him. They're, they're flocking to hear from him because they love him, what he's doing. They love what he can do for them. But do you know what they don't love? His words. They don't love the truths that he's going to proclaim. And we see that, don't we? People love what Christ can do for them. They love if, if he does something, he blesses them in their life, or they love if he can be the genie in the bottle for them. But what really matters is, do you love what he says? Do you love his truth? Do you love the hard things he says? Do you love the gospel? Because there may be times in your life that he's not doing, quote unquote, the things you want him to do. And so often we make Jesus into what we want him to be. We see this in the world today. Well, we want to build a God. You know how there's Build-A-Bear, right? You, you, well, I want this part. I like this part. I want to put this in. And that's what we do to Christ. Well, we want him to be this. And we don't want him to do that. We don't want to hold on to that truth. We don't want to. And we just pick and choose what we want to believe and what we want to hold on to. But it all hinges on do you believe his words? Do you believe he is who he said he is? Do you believe his gospel that is written? Do you believe everything that's in this word here today? Or do you just love him for when he does good things for you? You see, salvation hinges on do you believe the gospel? Do you believe his words? It comes down to his words. And the same ones who followed him for all the miracles that he was doing, they're getting ready to leave him because of his words because of his truths that he's going to tell them. They don't like that. And so often, we don't like to hear the truths of God as well. And some of those truths that we find, he also tells them, remember, they come and they're wanting the bread. And he says, but this bread is not going to satisfy you. I'm the bread of life. I'm the, the spiritual bread that has come down from heaven. And again, they don't like his words because his words are saying what? What does it mean to say that I'm the bread of heaven? I'm the one who came down from heaven. He's claiming to be God. They don't like those words. And we know earlier, you remember when he said after he healed the man on the Sabbath, you remember when they accused him of just breaking the law and, and not doing what he was supposed to do? You're not supposed to be working on the Sabbath. You remember that one amazing verse where he says, well, my father is working until now, and so am I. That was words that he said, claiming his deity, and what's the next verse? And they wanted to kill him. It's the words that we find offensive. It's the truth of God that people find offensive. And you're going to find this as we go through the gospel according to John. John chapter 7, a little later on in it, they're going to try to kill him. John chapter 8, he says, I am before Abraham. They hate those words because he's claiming to be God. They try to pick up stones to kill him. In John chapter 10, he says, I and the Father are one. And they accuse him of blasphemy and they want to kill him again. In John chapter 11, they have a plot to kill him. Why? Not because he's multiplying bread. 
but because of the truths and the words of which he's speaking. And we find that in our world today. When you begin to speak truths to the world, truths to unbelievers, you know what? They either are going to love it and they're going to, their heart's going to be changed, they're going to receive it, or they're going to hate it more. It is the gospel that is offensive. It's the truth that he proclaims that absolutely brings hatred to the hearts of people that are unbelievers. That's something to keep in mind when we go into this world. Jesus, the perfect one, the Son of God, as he's speaking truth, they want to kill him all the time. Keep that in mind when you speak truth to people. It's not always going to be received good because it comes down to, do you believe his words? Think about all the other hard things he's telling them in John 6. He says, listen, I know why you don't believe. And then he says in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me, they come to me. There's election. All the Father gives to me, they come. He has given before the world was, and that is who comes to Christ. Can you imagine hearing that? And then he says, here's the will of my Father. All that come to me, I raise them up on the last day. I don't lose any of them. And then he goes a little farther in verse 44 and says that no one can come unless the Father draws him. And you say, well, he draws everybody. But that's an impossibility because it says everybody that he draws, he raises up on the last day. If he draws everybody the same, everybody's in heaven. Can you imagine hearing these truths? And then he comes and he says, this bread that you were seeking, thinking that I could do, oh, by the way, it's worthless. I know why you're coming. You're seeking physical bread, but I'm the bread of life. I'm the son of man. When he says that, he is declaring that he is God. And they don't like that. His words are offensive to them. The truth is offensive. And then he says something even more offensive to them. He says, not only am I the son of man, not only am I the bread of heaven that's come down from, uh, from heaven, speaking of his deity, speaking coming from the Father, not only am I those things, for you to have eternal life, do you know what you got to do? You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Excuse me? These are words that they just are beginning to hate more and more. And he's not talking about physical, uh, eating his flesh physically. He's not talking about drinking his blood physically. He's talking spiritually. His body that was broken, his blood that was shed, feasting on Christ. He is our spiritual food that we are to, to, to feast on continually. Believing in his work on the cross, the body that was broken, the blood that was shed. He's speaking spiritual terms and they just don't get it. All this is going on. He's telling him all these words. Anger and hatred is building to this point. Remember the scene. He was so loved when these people came to find him at the start, in John chapter 6. We've got to cross this sea of Galilee that's so chaotic. We've got to do everything we can to get to this guy. We love what he's doing, but we hate what he's saying. It comes down to the words of God the truths that you find here, that you will either love it or you will despise it. And if your heart has been made new, your heart has been born again, then you should love the words of God. But to those who are not, it's absolutely one of the things that just you can't tolerate. It, you just don't believe it. That's the scene of how we get here. He's telling him these truths. He tells them that the flesh 
profits nothing. The Spirit gives life. You must be born again. You can't do that in the flesh. It's from above. Then he ends with this. For this reason I have said to you, words. What words did he say? No one can come to me unless. Here's the only ones that can come to Christ. You ready? It has been granted from the Father. Those words they found offensive. The same ones that followed him for the wrong reasons are now being exposed to his true words. In verse 66 tells us the response. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Well, let me just stop and say there something here. Those were professing disciples. Those were not true born again people. Those were not true Christians. Those were professors. Those are the ones who to followed him for the wrong reasons. They were the Judases. They looked the part. They were following him. But them leaving him shows us they were never really with them, him to begin with. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 24, tells us similar language here. It says, children, it is the last hour. And just as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. Let me just stop there. This is first century A.D. he's writing it in, correct? Children, it is the last hour. I believe we're in the last days. We've been in the last days since Christ was raised from this earth. Here John is writing in the first century A.D. and says, it's the last hour. Hebrews chapter 1 is going to say we're in the last days. Another story. I just want to draw your attention to that. And just as you've heard the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have, have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown they are all not of us. There are people that profess to be Christians. There are people that stay in churches. There are people that look the part say the part, but their heart is not regenerate. Their heart is not born again. They are not true Christians. And if you are proclaimed to be a Christian and you fall away for good, the, an the answer is simple. It wasn't that you lost your salvation. You never had it to begin with. Your going out from them meant that you were never really with them from the start. Remember, all that the Father gives to me, they come. I lose none of them. I raise them all up on the last day. So for someone to be truly born again, saved by God, and to lose that means that Christ has failed as a shepherd. He's failed in doing the will of the Father, and he's failed as a high priest. Let us never say that. These people were not true Christians. And when the true words of Christ came, they ran. They didn't like it. It offended them. These were people who were following him for the wrong reasons. And you know we've seen this through the gospel according to John so far. Do you remember after he cleansed the temple? And then he started doing miracles in John 2. They started following him. And then it says something at the very end of that chapter. He did not need anybody to tell him anything because he knew the heart of every man. Because he knew that those who were following him, some of them were not following him for the right reason. They weren't true Christians. They weren't true followers. And they would eventually fall away. 
That's the point here. These people are not true believers, true followers. They were following for selfish reasons. They were following for selfish gain. And when the true words of the of Christ came, it bothered them so much, they couldn't stand it and they left. They didn't lose salvation. They never had it. We're going to see that with Judas again a little later. That's sad, isn't it? I mean, think about how terrifying that is. There are people who proclaim to be Christians. There are people who would sit in church every day of their life for decades and never be a Christian. Never be a Christian for one second in their life. People that have high positions, pastors, deacons, elders, have titles, have positions all their life and never be a Christian for one second. It's a terrifying thing, but it's the reality. It was by the words that they left. It was by the truths that were being told to them that made them leave. They were offended by his words. And that's why theology is so important. Like, how do you know what to believe? How do you know what to believe if you don't understand what God says? You have to know what his word says. That's just vital. We've made this point. The Muslims believe in Jesus but they don't believe he's the son of God. Is that okay? No, it's not okay. That's heresy. You're not a Christian. How do you know that you must believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he came in the flesh? How do you know that? Because the word says it. You have to know what the Bible says. That's why the Bible at the very end of 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, but continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. And the word disciple means student. Learner, when you come to church, the, the, the role of a disciple is not just to come to church. A disciple is one who is a student learning, growing in the knowledge of God. That's why we put such an emphasis on theology, study of God, because God puts a stud, an emphasis on it. We must do it. We must know it. It must be done. You have to know the right Jesus, not the build the Jesus. You have to know the true God of the Bible to know the true truths to what to believe in. Words matter is, I believe, what is being really shown here today. The truth of God and His Word is what is to be believed. That's interesting. Do you remember what, how John 1 starts? In the beginning was the, the Word the Logos. He come to what? What did, what did Christ come to do? He came to exegete the Father. He come to speak on behalf of the Father. He come to show us who the Father is. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit is the one who carried along all these men in the Bible to record the true words of Christ. So what does the Spirit do? The Spirit points us to the Word. The Word then points us to Christ, and Christ has exegeted the Father, so then He points us back to the, the Father. It's the triune nature of God. That is why the Spirit will point us to the Word. He drives us to the Word. It's the words that we must believe. It's the words that are spirit and life. Sanctify them by truth. Your Word is truth. It's the words of God. You see what's happening here? The miracles are not being performed right now. Uh, the, the selfish gain is not in view. But now the true words of God are on the line. And these people who were not true believers, pretending to be, 
they leave. Now picture this scene. Sometimes we find strength in numbers, don't we? We've all been there, right? It's like the more people that you can get to agree with you, you're like, okay, maybe I feel a little bit more confident in what I believe. You know what I found with Reformed theology? That's probably never going to happen to you. Because it always seems like you're in the minority. And it always seems tough. But again, we're going to find that we have to hold true to the words of God no matter the number. But picture this scene, all these people following Christ, supposedly walking with him. And maybe these 12 are going to look and say, yeah, this is catching on. This is this is good. Maybe we really are onto something here. And the crowd, the crowds are gathering and they're wanting to see him. They don't know the hearts of everybody, but he does. And then in one day. It says that many of his disciples withdrew. And they followed him no more. Can you imagine that just watching that day? People that maybe they were close to just leaving, walking away, just leaving. And now we have this picture where it's Jesus and the twelve. Just just there. These words have driven everyone out. What would your thoughts be? If you were in that group that day and you see everybody leaving. Look what Jesus says to him. Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away also, do you? What a question. Everybody else is leaving. Nobody else wants to believe my hard truths. You've just seen them leave. Just us now. Do you want to leave too? You going to go? Even when it's just a small group. Do you want to go? You want to leave? And here comes Peter. Peter has had a couple declarations in the Bible. We, we had preached about it in the old building. You remember in Matthew chapter 16, where this is in Caesarea Philippi, and, and Jesus is asking them, who do they say I am? Do you remember that scene? And here's what Peter's response is in Matthew 16. Verses 13 to 18, it says, Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Why, who do people say that I, the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Stop it. And remember what we looked about last week. The flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit who gives life. Who revealed that to him? He didn't come up about that with his own, his own knowledge and his intelligence. That was revealed not by flesh and blood, but by the sovereign hand of God in heaven. It was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven revealed that truth to you. Just like the Father has to draw, like the Father has to reveal. It's a sovereign act of God by a sovereign God. But do you see the response here? He says, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. What a truth you've spoken. And he says, a little farther, he says, I say to you that you are Peter or the Petros. The small rock, right? And upon this rock, the Petra, 
that truth that Christ is the Messiah. I will build my church and the gates of Haiti will not overpower it. You remember how we got to that point? We said, what are gates used for? Gates are not an offensive thing. Gates are a defensive thing. And now we have this picture that the church of God is always on the defensive. The church of God is always running backwards and just praying that they can hold on long enough. But that's not what this says. It says, and the gates of Haiti will not overpower the church. That means that it's an offensive The church is marching forward. God is building His church. He's building it every day. He's marching forward. And the gates of hell, no matter how hard they try, will not be able to stop or overpower the kingdom of God. That's beautiful. That's an offensive church that is being shown in the Bible. The gates of hell will not overpower it. Do you see the difference? Like, do you see that response? You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. That's right. It's on this truth that the church will be built. Now let's look at the reaction here when Peter answers. He says, you do not want to go away also, do you? That's what Christ asked them. Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life, not actions of eternal life. You have words of eternal life. What do you think Like, if you just kind of compare what he says here versus what he says in Matthew 16, you you would think maybe Christ would come in and say, that's right. You nailed it. Yes. He doesn't do that. Look what he says. Well, Peter goes on a little farther. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Verse 70, Jesus answered them, did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Like, what is he saying? That's quite the difference. Like, he just said that you have a words of eternal life. You're the Holy One of God. And you say, didn't I choose you 12, but yet one is a devil? And when Peter will tell him that he's the Messiah, he says, blessed are you, Barjo. You see the difference in the two? What's at stake here? What's going on? I believe this is what the scene is showing that day. These hard truths have just caused all these people to leave. We come to hard truths in Scripture. Instead of believing what they say, we just run from them or hold to traditions or put words in or make things up. Or That's not what we're called to do. We're called to believe what His Word says. And that offends a lot of people. It does. But I want you to picture this scene. All these people leave. The twelve are there. Do you want to leave also? No, where would we go, Lord? You are the ones, your words are eternal life. We believe you're the Holy One of God. Did I not choose you, 12? Yet one of you is the devil. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he was one of the 12 who was going to betray him. You see, Judas right here, he's just like all the others that left. But his time of open rebellion has not yet come to pass because it's a sovereign timeline that he's on. It will not be this moment that Simon or that Judas will betray Christ because that's not what God has ordained. It will be at a perfect time, in a perfect place, at the right second, at the right moment, but not here, not now. We're going to see that tonight Christ is on a timeline from above, not by man's dictation. 
So Simon, or I keep saying Simon, it's not Simon, it's Judas, who was the one who would betray Christ. He is just like the one who left. He's not a believer, but not now. He's not going to betray him now, but he will betray him to kick off the events that lead to his crucifixion. I believe this is what he's saying. I believe he looks at the 12 and says something along this line when he talks about, did I not choose you, but one of you is going to betray me. I believe the, the feeling and the theme of that response is something like this. Does it bother you that everyone's left? Do you think that this number here is too small? Do you start to doubt that now everybody's left and it's just you? Well, if you think this group is small, wait. It's going to get even smaller. Because there's going to be one who's going to leave you soon who you think's with you. Do you still hold to what you just said? Where else could we go? Who else could we turn to? You alone have words of eternal life. I believe he's saying, listen, you may be discouraged. You may be upset. You may be thinking, are we really right? Remember Martin Luther? He stood alone and you hear that story. And there was times where he's like, is this true? Am I standing alone? Am I the only one who sees this? But what did he say? That my conscience is held captive to the word of God. And he stood. And now it's these 12. And even though that's small, and even though they may be discouraged and their world may have been rocked in that moment when they see these people leaving, he's going to tell them, you better hold on to what you just proclaimed because that number is going to get smaller. The 12 is going to turn to the 11, but my words are still true. My words are still right. My, still, my words are still the only way for eternal life. I believe he's showing that we are the minority as believers in this world, the gate is, is narrow and the path is short and we get so often discouraged when we feel like we're standing alone or we feel like maybe that everyone else could be right because they're in numbers. But he says, listen, you are to hold on to my words. I don't care if there's 11, hold on to my words. I don't care if there's 10, hold on to my words. I don't care if it's you, hold on to my words. Do you want to leave too? Does my word offend you? I believe Peter says it correctly. Lord, to whom shall we go? Where are you going to go that, find, that you can find the words of eternal life? This world is looking everywhere. I mean, they are looking for joy and peace and happiness and life and contempt. They're looking everywhere. And they're looking everywhere except for the source of all those things. It was Thomas Aquinas, I do believe, and we've mentioned it before, but he says, the Bible's very clear that it says no one seeks God. Romans 3 says that. So why does it look like all these people seek God? And he said that it looks like they're seeking God because they're seeking the things that only God can give, but they're seeking it in the wrong place. Where else are you going to go to find joy? He says, in his presence is fullness of joy. Where else are you going to find peace? The Bible says that there's no peace for the wicked. I keep hitting that. <laughs> there's no peace for the wicked. There's none. Where else are you going to go to find peace? Where else are you looking for peace? Where are you looking 
for forgiveness. It's only found in Christ. Where are you looking for life? It's only found in Christ. Where else would you go? Where else would you want to go? We are to be bound to the words of sacred Scripture because in them are truth and life. And maybe you can relate to this, but when you start to produce and, and you start to show Scripture and you start to teach the truths, it doesn't take long for people to start to leave really quickly, does it? They don't want any part of it. They don't want to hear the truths of the Bible. Well, don't feel bad because it's happening to Christ. What a scene this was. All these people, down to 12, that number is going to get smaller. You know, so oftentimes we, like I said, we take strength in numbers. And there's a story in the Bible that I think really starts to show that, that sometimes we, um, we get bothered. Some, sometimes when we feel like we're alone. Small number. It's not on your sheet, but in Romans chapter 11, we see the story of Elijah. Elijah had just um, been on the mountain there, Mount Carmel, and he just had this showdown with Baal, and this is when he fi uh, fire came down from heaven. You remember that story in 1 Kings. And then after this amazing experience with God and this amazing show of power, shortly after, he's on, on the run for his life because of a woman named Jezebel. Wicked woman. He sees the power of God. He sees fire come down from heaven and like, bring up all the water that's there. Just fire come down from heaven by God. And then the next chapter, he's on his run because of this earthly woman. And verse 2, it says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know that the scripture says in the passage about Elijah how he pleads with God against Israel? Here's what he says in 1 Kings 19. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars and I alone am left. They are seeking my life. I'm alone. That's it. I'm the last one. And now they're after me. Verse 4. What is the divine response to him? Here's the heavenly response. God says this. I have kept myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. That's sovereignty of God. I've kept them for myself. 7,000. You're not alone, Elijah. You may feel alone. Keep going. Hold on to my words. Keep going. That's what Elijah found that day. That there's a remnant there. There's, there's the believer. The church is pushing forward. The gates of hell will not prevail. You're not alone. You've got a group of people here. And when you get out in the world and you feel like you're alone, you're never alone because you've got the word of God with you. That we cling to those words. Are you willing to stand for the truths, the hard teachings, even if you stand in the minority, even if you stand alone, even if you don't have any friends, even if you don't have any family? Are you willing to stand? Or if Christ looked at you and said, Do you want to go too? What would you say? I hope it would be like he said, Peter said, Where else could we go? You have the words of eternal life. I heard this this week, and I just want to share it with you briefly. I, I can't take credit for this, but I thought it was amazing. I'm talking about the number that has dwindled there in their presence in this story. Here's what I, I heard this, and I just want to share it. It's easier to get a crowd than to make a disciple. Let that sink in just for a second. The standard to which all churches seem to be judged by anymore is how many people are there. I remember when we started, it would drive me nuts. We would have like three or four people. 
and I would just dread being around people that I, that, you know, maybe I used to go to church with or knew that we were in this church and, how you doing? Great. How's it going? I was like, don't ask it. Don't ask me. Do not ask me. And they would say, how's your church doing? Doing good? Great. Maybe we're done. Maybe that's the last question. And they'd say, how many are you running now? I'd be like, three? But you see, there seems, by the world standard, to be a shame in that, doesn't it? You know what I've come to find in five years? Give me three disciples. Give me three people that want to come here and learn about God than 150 people that are just there. Do you know what the Great Commission is? Go and make disciples. He doesn't say go and fill a church. He says go and make disciples. Again, that's why that word disciple means everything. A disciple is a student, a learner of the word. The word, it's his words. We're learning in it. We're growing in it. It's easy to get them here, generally speaking, as a whole. You can invite them. They can come. We can all set together. We can have hundreds and thousands of people in a church service. That's easy. The non-believer can do that. They can sit and do that all day long. It's easy to get the crowd. But when these people start to leave... And the 12 is going to be cut down to one. Do you know what is really hard? To find the true disciple. To find the one who wants to follow him based on his words and does not stop learning. And that's what we are doing our best to do here. I don't know too many churches that have tables. But do you know where you have tables at? A classroom to learn. That's what we're called to do. Give me 35 people that are true, born again, people who are desiring the things of God that are true disciples. That is so much more effective. That is so much better than 500 people that are like these people who are following him, but not truly Christians. And that's why a lot of churches keep big numbers. You know why? Because hard truths never get spoken. You see what happens when hard truths get spoken, spoken, the number starts to diminish. You look at Joel Osteen. If, you, if we think that the numbers are the greatest example of, then he's the greatest preacher there ever was. Do you know why that, that they have 20,000 people in a service? Because 20,000 people love to hear how good and wonderful they are. They love to hear how that God is going to promote them tomorrow if they just speak positive words over it. Do you know what? That keeps the crowd just fine. But when you open this, the Bible says it's offensive. It cuts to your core. You open the word of God. You don't skip hard truths. You're going to find the real disciples. You're going to find the real, the real followers. Because you know who doesn't want to hear the truths of God? The non-believer. Why would they? They hate it. You see what this picture is showing? They were fallen and they loved and they did all this until the truth had to come out. Until the words had to be spoken. And then that number diminished. And that is the case with us. You will be the minority more than likely in your work. You'll be the minority in this world. The Bible tells us that. Do you want to leave when it gets hard? Do you get discouraged when it's hard? Sometimes we do. But just like Peter says, where could we go?
And more importantly, where would you want to go? I'm thankful for you as a church that are just, you, you, you bless me because I know you're studying and you want to learn the truths of God. That's a true church. That's Bible standard of what it's supposed to be. It says that Judas will betray him. And he will. He's going to do that, but not yet. Judas's heart was never changed. It was never, it was never brought to life. And what a terrifying thought that is. I'll say this as we begin to close. Judas played the part so well. We talked about it on Wednesday. The word hypocrite comes into us from the Greek language as one who was in a play, one who would wear a mask, one who would play a part. And Judas was doing it. I mean, think about it. When Jesus is there and he says, there's going to be one who betrays me tonight. You know what they didn't do? Point at Judas. I know it's going to be him. Has to be Judas. Who would Obviously. What'd they say? Is it me? Judas was so trusted that he was in charge of the money. Followed Christ. And he was there with him, saw the miracles, said prayers. Was in synagogues with him. Did it all. But he did not truly believe the words that were being spoken in front of him for three and a half years. How many sermons did Christ give? How many times did he hear him speak? And all along, going along, thinking that he, pretending he believes it, and inside, hating every word that Jesus is saying because his heart is not truly been made to believe. God knows the heart. And you know why that Judas, the, the thing that he couldn't tolerate, the thing he couldn't believe was the words of truth that Christ was speaking. It's the words of Christ. This is important because it's going to show, shove us into chapter 7 when Christ is going to begin to speak more truths. And those, you're going to just be mindful of it. When we start to work through this, look for the times you hear, and these are the words he spoke, or Jesus spoke these things, and now they want to kill him. It's the truth of the word. You will lose people. You will lose family. Don't get discouraged. Don't. Be like Peter, who makes this proclamation. Where else could you go? There's, the Great Commission is to make disciples, and disciples love his words. Hold on to his words and believe his words. Again, Judas was prophesied in the Old Testament, and that time would come. It would be according to the predetermined plan of God, as Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 would tell us. Judas meant this for evil. But God meant it for good, to the saving of many lives. And I think there's, we can end this with one verse and then we'll close with this last little bit. When we look at Judas, the, verse, the verses that come to mind are Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, remember that, that when you use two words back to back here in this language, it's a sign of intimacy, a, of affection. It's, that's what's being at stake here. Many will say, Lord, Lord, that intimate calling did... We will, not, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Well, where do we find the will of his Father? His Word. His Word. Many, it says, uh, many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Here comes all the Christianese things we're to do, right? Quote, unquote. Prophesy in your name. Did we not cast out demons in your name? In your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, 
I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You know, it's, I hope this isn't the case. But you know, it's a reality that there could be someone here right today that could be just like Judas. You could be in the church all your life. You could, when we sing this song in a little bit, you could stand and you could say these words so beautifully. You may have prayed in church before, but if you don't believe His Word, you don't believe His Gospel, you don't place faith in Him, and you're not born again, guess what? You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I hope that's not the case here. I hope it's not the case. But you know what happens in a lot of churches. And if that's the case with you today, then the words of the truth have been proclaimed to you. That Jesus, the perfect one, came and lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life so you could have righteousness. He died so that your sins could be atoned for. And if you believe in Him, if you feel the truth of the Word come alive in you, that's the Spirit of God working in you. And you place faith in Him, you will find a perfect Savior. But you must believe His words. These are hard truths. And there are hard truths in the Bible. We can say amen to that. God is not apologizing for His hard truths. He's not giving us permission to change them, to deny them as we see fit or to suit our desires. That's not what He's doing. Here's His Word. He says, believe. We are required to believe it, teach, preach what the Bible says, not what we want it to say. And many will hear this truth. Many will hear the truth of God. They'll keep walking. They'll look for something else that they feel like will give them fulfillment in life. And our message as Christians has to be to the world of this. It has to be, listen, you're never going to find it anywhere else. You're not going to find hope anywhere else. You're not going to find life anywhere else. That has to be our, our calling out to them. No one will ever find life outside of Christ. So let us be like Peter today. If there's 50, if there's 40, if there's 30, if there's 10... If there's one, let us be like Peter as he declares, where could I go? Where would I want to go? But to you. To believe with, on your word. Because in your words, there's spirit and life. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord, that, uh, that you have allowed us to understand your truths today, understand your word. Lord, and I pray that we would put an emphasis on your words. Lord, put an emphasis on your truths, Lord. Let us know that these truths are not negotiable. They're not debatable. They're not customizable. We don't get to do that. Like they're your words. And in them, Lord, are spirit and life. And let us believe in them. Let us believe in them. Lord, we pray that you would convict us where we fall short of this. And Lord, just help us to grow in your image to be conformed to you, Father. We want to, to have more faith and, and belief in what your words say. Lord, we want to have a greater desire to read them. And Lord, let us not get discouraged if 
the number that are around us began to dwindle or we lose family, friends, whatever it is, Lord. Lord, let us have resolve in our heart that there's nowhere to go but You. You are the source of life. And let us stand boldly, unashamed, Lord, with all determination. And let us cling to Your words with all the might that we have. We ask these things and we praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask one question before we sing this song, and I just thought of it. They loved the works that He did, but they didn't love the words that He spoke. So many people love God because of what He does. The benefits, if you will. I want to leave you with this question today. If He never did a single thing in your life that you would consider a blessing, if your life was from here on out, Sickness, heartache, trouble. Nothing else. No other works that He would put upon you. Would you still love His words? Would you still be able to open the Bible and say, I love your words. As affliction is all around you, I love your words. In them are spirit, in them are life. That's the true test. If all the benefits were gone, would you still love Him? If hell was out of the equation and heaven was out of the equation and and nothing else happened, if there was no benefit, if there was no blessing, would you still love Him? And if your life was affliction and He did nothing else works-wise to bless you more than He already has and you live the most despised life in this world, could you say today, I love your words and where else would I go? And where else would I want to go? That's the challenge today.